1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome. A special thanks to Eric Hamilton, who's our guest musician here today. It's lovely to have you with us. We are graced also to have all of you with us this morning from all the places that you're joining us. And so I would say if you are here local, we hope that with the fires and smoke that your health is okay, that your loved ones are okay. Those who are joining us perhaps from places closer to where Hurricane Laura struck this week, we hope that you and your loved ones are safe there too for all of us. This virus we live with, we hope you are all safe and it's wonderful to have you here with us. You can get your order of service and download it so you can see it. And one of the things that you will notice is the incredible group of people that make this live stream possible every week. So I wanna thank not just Eric, but also Mark Sumner, our choir director, Asher Davidson and Brielle Nielsen, who will be leading us in song. Reiko Oda-Lane, who you'll hear too from her place in the loft. Her videos are going viral these days, so you can find those too on YouTube. Thomas Brown, who keeps us safe and prepares the building, and Alex Starr, who will be hosting again our coffee hour, and of course, our team of media folks who are really making this possible. To Eric Shackelford, and Shuli Ong, and Jonathan Silk, and Joe Chapeau. I also am lucky this morning to have Greg Biggs with me. Greg is is co-chair of our small group ministry program. And Meg McGuire, our intern, who started on Tuesday, was supposed to be with us, but she slipped and fell on stairs last night, and so is at the ER, hopefully just finding out it's a bad sprain or bruise. So our thoughts are with her, and I know you'll look forward to welcoming her. We're really lucky to have her with us this year. So this morning, we are entering into an ancient tale, the story of Jonah and we're seeing what it is we can find there. So it's lovely to have you with us. And since it's a tale about voices that command us to do things, we thought it would be fitting to sing as our opening hymn, hymn number 112, although the words and music are in your order of service, do you hear? So especially those of you at home, please sing out loud and strong as we begin worship together, welcome.
2: Do you hear, oh my friend? Do you hear? Do you hear? All the dreams, all the deaths, all the songs.
0: Now, please join me in saying the words of our unison chalice lighting. They are printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together.
1: And I realize that I forgot to light the candle that we have been lighting every week since we have been apart from each other physically. In honor of all of you, that we are together in spirit until such time as we are back together in body again. So if this is your first time joining us for worship, a special, special welcome. As I said, you can follow along in the order of service, which you should find in a place where you can download it A description of the service is emailed to everybody who gets our newsletter, so you can also sign up to get the newsletter, and then you'll find the links handy in advance. We'd love for you to look ahead to all the chances that you can connect, and we're working hard to find ways, new ways to connect. Those include right after service for our Zoom coffee hour, which actually is throwing people together in breakout rooms who've never met each other. So it's this gift, this strange gift of this time. And so we'll hope that you consider staying on and joining for that. I want especially to bring your attention to the opportunity to sign up for small group ministry, which will start in the fall. It's an incredible way to build deep connections within the community, for really meaty discussions and deep listening to each other which all of which don't happen easily and naturally sometimes in the world. Bobby Kovacs and Greg Biggs are leaders and Margot Campbell-Gross who's the minister emerita of this congregation advises them. You'll find all the details in in the order of service and online and so please consider signing up. I do also want to hold up that at 1 o'clock today, the non-theists humanists group is going to be doing a program on anti-racism. So important right now and always has been. And it's inspired, this particular program, by a talk given by Professor Ibram Kendi. So I hope you'll consider joining that in particular right after service at 1 o'clock. I also just want you to know, if you don't already, that everything we're offering now is available via Zoom, which also has a phone number you can call into. So if you're not someone who knows or wants to learn how to use Zoom, you can still phone in and participate in these programs. So I encourage you to consider that. And if you need any help, call our office and we'll actually walk you through it. Finally, just to let you know in advance that our offering this morning is going to be taken for the Unitarian Universalists Disaster Relief Fund and it's going to be earmarked especially for relief for those who suffer from the effects of the California fires but it will be available too should it need be needed for the Hurricane Laura relief efforts you can give electronically you'll see too a place to do that easily and just if you remember mark your gifts special offering when you're given that list of possibilities so that we know that your gift today will go toward that and not toward your pledge. And thank you in advance for your generosity. So I invite you now to join me as we center ourselves with our meditation on breathing, a way to begin and deepen into our worship together. The words are in your order of service. We generally sing it through a few times and kind of settle into it in a chant-like way. So please join us in that.
2: When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, I'll breathe in peace. When I breathe out, I'll breathe out love. When I breathe in, i breathe in peace. When I breathe out, i breathe out love. When I breathe in.
1: Join me if you will in saying together the words of our covenant also printed in your order of service and then we'll sing together our doxology. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another.
2: All that dwell below the skies, let songs of hope...
1: Recognizing that there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of three such places of struggle and suffering. We ring our gong first as we have since a year and uh, two months ago in honor of the seven children who lost their lives in federal custody in detention camps. And we let its ringing symbolically stand for those adults who have lost their lives in these camps, those who remain in them, many separated from their families and many now infected by COVID-19 or at great risk of an infection. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. 27,506 people died of COVID-19 globally this week, 4,801 in the United States alone. We hold in our heart all these losses. We hold in our hearts all who continue to risk their lives to provide essential services that we collectively rely on. Those who's suffering from economic hardship and instability due to loss of work is frightening and puts them at great risk of eviction and further struggle and all whose lives are particularly vulnerable to this disease. Finally, we ring our gong once for the lives lost and endangered this past week in Kenosha, Wisconsin. For Jacob Blake, who remains in the hospital having been shot seven times in the back by police. For Joseph, Rosenbaum, 36, and Anthony Huber, 26, who were killed by an armed white vigilante while demonstrating in defense of black life in the wake of Blake's shooting. For the other, protesters critically wounded by the same shooter. And this morning's news of a white Trump supporter shot dead in Portland. We hold those in Kenosha and Portland in our prayers, aware always of the larger context, of the epidemic loss of black life to police brutality and white supremacist violence, and the dream of equity and healing. May we keep those we have named and all their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers. And may we ease the tide of human suffering this coming week, howsoever we can with so much swirling like ash in our world. Valiant servants holding ground with placards, IV bags, water hoses alike. I invite us to use this time for a quiet Centering and an invitation to be. To be back in our bodies, shaken by trauma, both personal and vicarious. To be back in the present moment, flawed and painful and. Full of possibility, too. To be in time, but with a chance to sink deep into and listen for what it whispers and holds out to us in each ticking of the clock's hands. And in between the seconds, too. I invite us to hold shared silence together and let it take you and hold you where your mind and body and spirit most need to be taken and held. So let us hold sacred silence together for a bit. Spirit of life, we are grateful for the gifts of life this day, this world, with all its complicated gorgeousness. Help us to stay grounded and find a way through with love and courage toward healing. For this and all the sacred prayers of our hearts, this hour, we pray. Amen.
0: Good morning. My name is Greg Biggs, and with Bobby Kovac, I am co-coordinating our congregation's small group ministry program with important guidance and inspiration from Margot Campbell-Gross. When I woke the morning of August 19th, I started my day with the closest to eager anticipation I had felt during the past six months. I was about to start a five-day break from work. While I knew it would be very different vacation compared to what I had in previous years, I was glad that I would be able to go on long hikes and be outdoors. That all changed the moment I stepped out the front door and was bombarded by smoke from the wildfires. My first concern was for the forest and the people in the line of the fires. But I also felt that my own world had just narrowed to an even smaller place not even able to spend time in my back garden without risking my health. Feeling almost gutted, I let this sink in and cautiously opened an article a coworker sent me by a science writer, Tara Hale, titled, Your Surge Capacity is Depleted. It's why you feel so awful. Surge capacity was a new term for me, but something I fully understood. Hale shared that so many of us are feeling the state of depletion and mourning as a cumulative impact of the past six months. She then offered several suggestions on how to rebuild your resiliency bank account. One especially resonated with me where she wrote, the biggest protective factors for facing adversity and building resilience are social support and remaining connected to people. That includes helping others even when we're feeling depleted ourselves. That echoed what I feel that I have gained from small group ministries, especially in these challenging times. Small group ministries is a place where we meet twice a month in groups of up to 10 people and explore a wide range of spiritual and social justice topics through facilitated discussion and deep listening. Topics have included gratitude, the afterlife, Black Lives Matter, the power of music, the importance of play, connection, and many others. Members also suggest new topics that are relevant and of interest uh, to members of the group. As part of our covenant, everything shared in the group is kept confidential. It is a safe place where you can be vulnerable and know that what you say will be received with support, even if you're feeling that your surge capacity has been depleted. Over the past six months, I have heard several members say that the sessions were the one place where they came away feeling hopeful that week. I had attended the church sporadically for over 20 years but never joined because I felt I could not find that magic door that would help me find meaningful connection to the congregation. Three years ago, I returned and gave small group ministries a try and realized it was the magic door I had been looking for and went on to become a member. We all need a place where our search capacity can be replenished to stay resilient, especially these days. Our next small group ministries begin the first week of October and continue through May. Like all of the church's programs currently, we will be meeting initially by Zoom, but you can also join by phone and be connected. Check the small group ministry page on the church website or click the link on the article about the series that will appear in the flame throughout uh, the month of September to learn more.
1: Thank you so much, Greg. I hope people will check it out, especially these days as Greg emphasized. So now our offering, which this week will go to benefit the Unitarian Universalist Disaster Relief Fund, earmarked for the fires available for Hurricane Laura. That offering, that special offering, if you'll name it so in your gifts, will be both given and gratefully received. Thank you in advance for your generosity. This morning is from a book called The Good Book, Reading the Bible with Mind and Heart. It is by the late Reverend Peter J. Gomes, who was the minister for decades at the Memorial Church at Harvard and the plumber professor of Christian morals at the university. Reverend Gomes writes the following. Critics of the Bible have often said that its moral authority is compromised by the fact that it's filled with so many less-than-exemplary characters. No less an exemplary character than Helen Keller said of the Bible in her autobiography, quote, There is much to the Bible against which every instinct of my being rebels so much that I regret the necessity which has compelled me to read it from beginning to end. Thomas Paine, writing his anti-religious tract, The Age of Reason, complained of the, quote, obscene stories, the voluptuous debaucheries, The cruel and torturous executions and unrelenting vindictiveness with which so much of the Bible is filled. What engages the reader of the Bible is the fact that it is filled with people much like the reader. People who... Are confused and confusing, who are less than exemplary, but who nevertheless participate in a developing encounter with God. If the Bible were just about the successful and the pious, it would be little more than a collection of Horatio Alger's tales or Barbara Cartland romances. What makes the Bible interesting and compelling is the company of human beings who through its pages play their part in the drama of the human and the divine. In the sense that Bible stories tell our story, the human story, in relationship to the divine, they are true. They are not true because they are in the Bible. They are in the Bible because they are true to the experience of real people. Here ends our reading today and the challenge to which we will put the story of Jonah. The story that we're telling today, it begins with Jonah. For those of you who aren't familiar with the Bible, the one most Christians hold up on Sunday that was always visible in the house of my grandmothers, that the president held when he came out for show in front of St. John's Episcopal Church in Lafayette Square not so long ago, clearing out clergy and prophetic witnesses in order to do so. Oh, the irony. That book is better described as a library. A library of human wisdom, a collection of poetry and history, of song and story and if you don't already know, it has two sections, right? The front half are those books and texts written in Hebrew that were and still are part of the Jewish tradition that we call the Hebrew scriptures, wisdom that's carried forward with reverence in Christianity. And the second half contains later texts, mostly written in Greek, some that were influenced by earlier original sources in languages like Aramaic. These are the writings that describe a set of communities and traditions that date from the life of Jesus onward and center around his life and teachings and the religious tradition they gave rise to. Within the Bible, this Bible, the earlier part, drawn from the Jewish tradition, is the book of Jonah. Jonah is part of the piece of those scriptures that is full of the stories of the prophets. The prophets. These characters, these teachings, people who are associated with issuing warnings and wake-up calls in their time, Prophets who were, let's be candid, kind of the downers of the religious life, right? They're the ones who show up and they tell you that you and your people have lost your way and that you are in grave danger because of it. Being called to be a prophet, well, let's just be clear. I don't think it's something that most children grow up dreaming of and understandable too then, Why you might resist such a call if it came? Jonah, perhaps, is the most famous resister. The book of Jonah starts with such a call. The voice of God, we are told this voice that when you hear it is apparently indisputably the voice of God. It comes and it tells Jonah to go to a city called Nineveh, a great city, And prophesy. As you might have guessed, the Ninevites—if that's what they called themselves—they weren't being good people, and it was time to let them know their wickedness needed to come to an end. That is, it would end one way or the other. Jonah, hearing this voice of God knowing of this time-sensitive need, well, what did he do? He headed straight in the other direction toward the sea, and he bought a one-way ticket to the place that probably was the furthest away he could imagine, to Tarshish, which we now think is somewhere on modern-day Spain's coast, and off he went You might imagine, if you are God in the story, you'd be none too pleased with this turn of events. So this same God sent a mighty wind, hurled up a mighty storm. Jonah, in a moment that is clueless or comic or both, he sleeps soundly in the hold of the ship while the sailors throw everything frantically overboard in an attempt, all of the cargo so that the ship doesn't break apart. And then finally, it occurs to the sailors whether or not maybe God is involved. And so they all pray to their respective gods, but the storm continues. And then they, they start to wonder and guess who might in fact be to blame. And they wake up Jonah And he agrees he's the one to blame. And he generously suggests that they throw him overboard to save themselves. And to their credit, they do try a few other things before they give up and do the only last thing they can and cast Jonah into the roiling ocean. God, meanwhile forever gracious and forgiving, didn't let the resistant prophet drown. In the story, God sends transportation to Jonah. It arrives in the form of a big fish, technically not translated as whale, but big fish, just so you know, that swallows the young man up. And so Jonah, the Reluctant prophet spends three days in the belly of the fish as it journeys to reflect on his situation, on God's mercy and wrath, and you might say to get his prophetic act in order. After those three days, the fish spits Jonah onto dry land. God repeats his request to Jonah, and Jonah dutifully heads to Nineveh. Jonah's warning to the people of Nineveh has amazing success. The people in that city somehow believed this man, who must have smelled awful and looked worse. They believed him. And they changed their hearts. They started fasting and praying for forgiveness. Even the king puts on sackcloth and ashes and calls for fasting and repentance and declares an end to their violent ways. And so as a result of all this change of heart, we are told, God spares the people of Nineveh from the calamities that God was fully prepared to bring down upon them. Think, think for a moment how hard it must do to change people's ways like that, right? How much a people committed to prophetic naming, for instance, throughout history have railed against wrong and against oppression and taken to the streets have cited statistics of, for instance, police brutality or anti-blackness and evidence of white supremacy culture, school-to-prison pipeline, and Jim Crow modern-day laws, and for how many decades and how slow wickedness can be to see and mourn and repent. Just think about that. Because hats off to Jonah, right? Well, already, first of all, I want to say that I hope you can see that this story, which is not literal truth and was never intended to be read as such, but as a literary device to convey something about our struggles and our lives, how it invites us in, in our own lives, with reflection. Folks who talk about biblical story and traditions around them. They would encourage the people listening to do exactly what we just found ourselves stumbling into, to listen and wonder with our own lives bouncing up against it. And in fact, some would encourage us to enter into this process deliberately by putting ourselves into the place of the characters in the story. And some would suggest that we start with the least obvious characters as we engage the story the way it was meant to be engaged. So bear with me, let's do that for just a second. I mean, Are you perhaps the sailors or one of the sailors on the boat? Are you doing your job? Are you working hard to make things work? Often with your life thrown into chaos by someone else's mess. And you, an honorable person, trying to keep things held together despite all the wrenches and difficulties and challenges thrown your way, but maybe, maybe a little tired, a little angry, sometimes disappointed by how things play out. Or or maybe lately you're the big fish. Maybe you're the one stepping in to rescue those in need, answering the call to offer yourself as literally a vessel for what is divine in the world, for healing, for guiding power in the universe, to let it use you however it can. And and maybe, maybe then the story reminds you how despite the fact that sometimes it can seem pointless, all this rescuing of rebellious souls and all the storms they create in their wake, that sometimes people do turn themselves around and the world around them with it. Or or are you the Ninevite? I mean... Have you gone off the deep end with some behavior that you know isn't right? Maybe something that momentarily feels good, but it really isn't good for you or those around you. Maybe you're in some cycles of hurt and violence, emotional, psychological, spiritual, physical. Maybe you've gotten accustomed To a world in which things aren't good, but feel normal that way. And some sense of you, you realize, has been waiting for a wake-up call or a chance to stop or to repent or to change your life, to live clean, to be in more loving relationships to others, right relationship. Are there prophets you can heed already calling you? Could you answer the call? Because the story says that cities and nations and people, even stuck in a pattern of hurt and wrong, can turn themselves around and pretty quickly. Or maybe you and I are Jonah running from something. And maybe we don't necessarily know it to be the voice of God, but maybe we'd call it the voice of truth inside us, our deepest self whispering to us. Maybe through a feeling that keeps bubbling up and asking for attention. Maybe work that calls to us in the world. Maybe a question that we hear, but an answer to which we know will be challenging or maybe inconvenient or just scary so we turn away from it. Have you ever run to the sea? Or do you sleep or sleepwalk as a means of escape or avoidance? Well, I suppose you could find a small group to help you process some of this to not be alone in it. We all have something we're running from probably. Isn't this gorgeous? That there's this abundance to leap into with our whole selves and travel with and let it tell us things about ourselves. And, and then, like the whale, deliver us to the place we need to be. And all of it, actually, part of this larger story of deliverance and second chances. That is the foundation of the story, right? That every character plays a part in. So no matter where we are, we're part of this larger narrative of hope. Wherever we see ourselves in the tale. Well... Normally, I think I would leave us there. I'd be like, blessings and have a good week, everybody, and I love you, but I, I can't do it. So pour yourself quickly another cup of coffee or get up and stretch because there's, there's more to the story. It actually doesn't end where we normally stop. And that part of the story is so relevant, I can't stand for us not to go there. So be patient with me, my friends. Trust me. The story of Jonah, the book of Jonah, it turns out, doesn't end with people ceasing their wicked ways and turning themselves around. It has this other part. The part that comes next, after this remarkable success of Jonah's, is where he gets pissed off, you might say. He doesn't get mad, it turns out, about the storm or being thrown into the belly of a fish or all that, but he gets angry that Nineveh is spared in the story. That is what really bothers him. It it turns out Jonah actually hoped that Nineveh would get viciously punished or destroyed no matter what. He's mad, in other words, that God has shown mercy, kindness. So in the story, Jonah literally storms out of the city of Nineveh. He sets himself up outside the city in the glaring sunlight, literally watching and hoping still that destruction will roll into the city, sulking. God, who seems again to be merciful, sends a bush to shade Jonah, and Jonah appreciates it. And then strangely in the story, God sends a worm that eats away and destroys the bush and Jonah gets angry again and he asks to die. At which point God says some version of, you were concerned about a bush that lives and dies, Jonah. But I, I shouldn't be concerned with the 120,000 people and the animals and all that lives in the city of Nineveh. This part of the story, my friends, you can use this at dinner parties, this part of the story, it turns out, is actually the reason the story of Jonah was written and that it was put and carried over in the canon. And this is actually, my friends, thought to be the prophetic part of the story. It was to teach a lesson to some of the Jews of the time, the ones who, who thought, well, who were becoming rather exclusive in their notion of God's love and mercy. The Jewish people had seen at this point the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem and some had interpreted, it turns out, this destruction as a sign of God's wrath and their response to it was to become very strict adherence to the law and practices of purity and to try and keep the Jewish people as pure as possible as a sign of closeness to God. But the steps from that to seeing those who were outside the group as beyond God's love, it was a slippery slope that that was taking place among some of the people. And the book of Jonah was written to them. Jonah stood for all those who said then and who say all the time in human history that anybody is beyond God's love, beyond our love, It was prophetic, it turns out, not at all because of Jonah. But because of its message about mercy being more precious than judgment. A wake-up call to how our humans can be hard-hearted and parsimonious about who gets grace when we ourselves will so graciously accept it without question in our own lives. It struck me as a very important message to hear and remember right now, right? Stuck in the midst as we are of heated, hard debates. After a week of listening to some speeches at the RNC, painful in their exclusion, protesters stoking hate, how easy it is to lean in that direction. How important to remember that all this othering is ancient. And that we are all susceptible to its venom. So then maybe the last character we need to put ourselves in the place of in the story is God. The God that was written and imagined by the writers, right? This force in the story who seems determined that the truth gets spoken, that the wayward get invited, all of the wayward get invited back into the embrace of the larger whole that grants mercy more than judgment. This God whose heart stays huge and supple, despite setbacks and betrayals, despite immature behavior from those supposedly who are your allies and partners, who pulls from every resource imaginable, right? Fish and wind and storm and bush and worm, to make redemption and second chances possible for everyone. So may we imagine our way into that character too in the story. Bring it alive among us. Heaven knows we need it. And so my friends, the book of Jonah, an ancient and timeless story that begins with Jonah and ends as it always does with us blessings stay safe stay connected stay healthy stay supple and big-hearted amen we are going to close our worship together singing it seems very appropriate with the theme of the ocean today blue boat home so the words and the music are in your order of service Join in as we sing together.
2: Though below me I feel no motion Standing on these mountains and plains Far away from the rolling ocean Still, my dry land heart can say, I've been sailing all my life now. Never harbor or port have I known. The wide universe is the ocean I travel, and the earth is my blue. I ply the starry sea Leaning over the edge in wonder Casting questions into the deep Drifting here with my ship's companions All we kindred pilgrim souls Making our way by the lights of the heavens I'm beautiful. the sky.
1: And now, in our comings and our goings, may the light of love shine upon us. Out from within us, be gracious unto us and grant us peace. For this is the day we are given. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.